Now you go, 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 oh, oh, I go, no, you go, oh, I go, no, you go, this is so embarrassing, I can't believe it, now you go. I was going somewhere and now I'm lost. Hi, Helen Hicks, how are you? Hi. Hello there. Hello, everyone. The podcast is called Now You Go, and it's about collaborative creative journeys. It's called Now You Go. Mm-hmm. That's fucking awesomest title ever. Nice. Tracy, that was that was all Tracy. Wasn't that you? That was your idea. It right? was a group collaboration. That's true. <laughs> Brought on by you, instigated by you. Um, Tracy is a aspiring writer who currently writes, which makes you a writer. <laughs> Ryan is a writer as well, slash actor. And if you look on his Instagram, you will find a picture where he looks like Drake with his head in the clouds. And it's very attractive and I like it. I am a comedy writer and somewhat of an actor and a lifelong doodler. Doodler. Yeah, I draw things and whatnot. Helen, we brought you here because you have had a long life of doing creative work and I wanted to know when was the first time you felt like being a part of a creative process? Um, I always wanted to be an artist like from when I was a kid like I always um, as far back as I can remember art class was always my favorite and like I drew so much shit and my mom like framed it and so that kind of like fed my ego you know like I was like oh yeah I drew our our shih tzu she looks great um we're gonna keep doing this and um you know it was like you know my childhood was uh there were some things that made it difficult that happened and like having art and like the the kind of like like subcultural stuff around the art I was drawn to made it a lot easier to survive that childhood. Like I had, I mean, let's be honest, I reached for a lot of escapes, but like the idea of like a bohemian or like punk subculture, like totally helped me stay alive. Cause it was like, so the opposite of what my reality or like what my, um, what my family of origin gave me. I went to Catholic school for 13 years. Um, so I rebelled. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I know many people who I know who have gone to Catholic school end up rebelling. It's pretty, it doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> yeah. So Helen, can you give us a little bit of background of like where you grew up, kind of like what that environment was like, um, uh, kind of in your family dynamic or town dynamic or anything like that, how that was for you? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, and I'm an only child, and um, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it, um, to make it cute. I'm trying to make my childhood <laughs> cute. I'm trying to curate this experience, which maybe mm-hmm. is the wrong idea. Um, but, you know, um, I was a really lonely kid, and, like, I had a lot of adult responsibilities starting from a very young age. My mom got super sick when I was seven and, um, you know, I was an only child. I was also kind of like an, 
I felt like, and I think I actually was an outcast in my extended family. Um, and, or like, I didn't fit in, like everyone loved their, pre- all my cousins loved their prep schools. They were all like thin and like knew how to comb their hair and wear makeup. And like all, all my girl cousins were like cheerleaders or like dated and they were like really thin and like had nice hair and it, they fit in. And, um, and then all my guy cousins, like, I mean, I grew up in like a super like patriarchal family as many of us did. And so the boys got to do whatever they wanted to do. I had, I had like one cousin who got into a ton of trouble and seemed to have like a difficult time. But from my perspective, everyone was doing a lot better than I was. Um, which, you know, is a whole other can of worms, but. Um, did you feel, I just want to wonder at that time when you felt kind of in isolated, did you have a, art buddy or a person that you were inspired by that you could relate over uh, creative pursuits? When I was seven, no, no, I didn't. I was like, (laughs) but later I kind of started to get attracted to people who made art um, and that I was inspired by. And um, like all around middle school, like I started making friends who were like also weird. but like not too weird, you know, it was like medium weird. Like I didn't want to be super weird because I didn't want to continue to get bullied uh, for more reasons than I was already getting bullied for. Um, but I, but I, I started making friends like that. And then when I got to high school, there was um, this group of girls in the year ahead of me and they were like, like I, I was already like kind of into riot girl stuff, but the girl, the stuff when I got to high school that I like loved like they had like, sh- like in high school, they had like pixie cuts and shaved heads and they smoked cigarettes and they were all in art class or creative writing. And um, they were, they were bad girls and I loved them. And I like took a bunch of art classes my freshman year and I met um, Renee and I was obsessed with her and I like could not talk to her, but I always sat at her table. It was me and her and Spencer. I always sat at her table, whatever class we had together. And um I guess like, I guess a lot of like the way I, my creative journey, journey, like my life with art, um, it's like, pr- it can, it gets pretty tragic, you know? Cause like this girl that I was obsessed with, like pr- she was probably my second or third like crush, but I was in Catholic school. So like, you know, mm-hmm. we ignore, we push those things aside. We don't really date. Yeah. Not a whole lot of um, same gender dating <laughs> in Catholic school. Um, but um you know, she um, died in a double suicide with her boyfriend, like wow. my freshman year, like on Valentine's Day. And, wow. um, and so that, that happened, right? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't mean to laugh about it, but it's like fucking intense. And there was this like, you know, I was friends with all the like goth and riot girl kids. And like, we were, my high school, we hung out a lot with, um, uh, people from Shambly High School and Dunwoody High School. I went to St. Wait, I, am I going to get in trouble for this? I went to St. Pius X Catholic High School um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's a wild. It, it was a wild ride. Um, but we hung out with all like the the bad boys and the bad girls from Shambly. And Sh- at the time, Shambly had the highest suicide rate in the country for a public school. Wow. And um, so Renee's boyfriend went to Shambly, and then. Um, 
and then like four of my friends committed suicide within like a two-year period um this was like before I was a junior (laughs) um so this was all associated with this idea of like being an outsider and like and like using art as a way to express like the incredible feeling of alienation and like discomfort um, and finding solace, but also finding that kind of like um, being, uh, what's it called? Affirmed in that idea of um, terminal uniqueness where it's like, well, look at all the people I'm around. They keep killing themselves and they're brilliant artists. And like, we all listen to KMFDM and life sucks, you know, like that's, high school I could go into more detail about high school but it's a little dark a little darker than that (laughs) that is so dark I never realized that you hung out with so many people who killed themselves that's insane I have um yeah I oh I I've I've had a strange relationship to suicide because I've met a I've had relationships with a lot of people who've killed themselves and I always thought it meant that I'm like the stage before they die, which is talk about terminal wow. uniqueness. I feel like I'm the grim reaper, yeah. but that's just putting way too much uh, personalization on their experience. It's kind of like a way I just make a joke out of it, which suicide isn't funny. It's just if if I have a lot of experience with it, I tend to like turn things into um, things I can laugh about, even if they're really dark and horrible. And uh, that's how I survived my life. So that we do not cry. Yeah. I totally talked over you. That was rude. Oh, it wasn't rude. I have such a quiet voice. I could basically (laughs) just talk in the background and it would suffice. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I have a right to just like talk over you. Um, But you're, you're sweet and very forgiving and generous. I also maybe since we're talking about suicide, want to suggest that um, we include we. I'm not like a host on the show, but can we include like um, like suicide hotline information at the end of the show yeah. or like in the in the notes? Because you know it's not funny, it's not lighthearted, but like when when uh, for me like experiencing so much suicide, like I don't know, like it doesn't make it easier for me to deal with joking about it. It's just how I deal with it you know so I don't want to give the impression that like I think that suicide is cool and that I'm not affected by it it's like incredibly difficult when someone you know and care about and love like chooses to end their life um we'll definitely put a link in um a, a number I find that because I dealt with suicide at such a young age that's where joking about it stemmed from it was basically to take care of other people's emotions because they don't know how to comfort a nine-year-old with a broken heart and because I'm so codependent it's like oh no I'm laughing about it you're fine so I still have issues to this day about the ability to make people laugh and now I feel like I've been able to recover and take like some assertive um, actions with my comedy so it's more of a fun purpose and less of a way to get people to stop worrying about me because I'm an adult and people don't worry about me the same way as they did when I was fucking nine, which is a good thing. I get to yeah. worry about myself. I feel like, I mean, Helen, maybe you can probably speak to this as well and probably everyone on this call. Just, I think when you have, when you're so connected to something so traumatic 
the way that we process those things, it comes in so many different forms, right? For a lot of people, it's comedy. For other people, it's music. For other people, it's painting or drawing or whatever it is. And I think it's just like talking about how obviously suicide isn't funny, but the way that we kind of cope with it and kind of joke it, joke with it in a way that makes us feel comfortable and makes other people feel comfortable. That's kind of like the power of creativity and art, right? Like it's really just a way, I think, one of the things that makes any artist an artist really is trauma in a lot of ways, you know, not that that's required, but I think so many of us have gone through things and um, just kind of like the way that we deal with it is through our art and through our creativity. Um, and Helen, so what I was wanted to ask was, did you feel when everything was going around you, kind of all these traumatizing things going around you with your friends, did you feel like that kind of stifled that part of you, that creative part that you were uh, able to kind of express around that time? Did it fuel it? Did it, you know, kind of how, how, how did that transition happen? Um, that's a really cool question. Um, I totally feel like it produced it. Like, like the art, the visual art that I made was like, so I drew and I painted all through high school and I like did AP art class. And then I went to SAIC after high school. And, um, and I had like, because I had all of these kind of like untamed emotions um, and responses. I mean, I went to Catholic school. They didn't like have a, like a mental health care situation for students. Yeah. You know, we, we had a counselor. I don't even remember what she, we played. We, we played pickup sticks or something like that. I, like, I don't fucking know. What, anyways, but like, because I had all these untamed emotions, I, I was eight, like I felt possessed when I drew and I painted. It was like, like I really felt it and um, it helped that I like drank and did a ton of drugs in high school to kind of like really, for me, I like really embodied those emotions in those moments. And like, you know, drinking and using drugs like doesn't actually help you feel your emotions, but I could be in a place where I had convinced myself that this was a healthy way to process emotions, right? Um, so, so yeah, I would do these like like figurative and by not figurative what do I mean what do I mean it's been a long time since I've used actual art school words but um like gestural drawing you know and like really dramatic like stark like planes of color and then you know I would um one of my favorite things to do was I would get a like a one of those gigantic fashion magazines like I think the one I got the most was called W it was huge. It was like two feet by a foot and a half big. Like the pictures were enormous. And I would cut out all of the pictures that I like, like intuitively felt drawn to. And I would put um, carbon paper underneath them. And then I would draw like an approximation of the photograph. And, um, and that would be the beginning of a painting, right? And so using those would be like, um, that was a way for me to, and then I would like distort their faces and make kind of like eyeballs falling out of their heads and like, you know, tears of blood and like, you know, fucking teenager goth shit. Um, and, and that was my way of expressing like, what the fuck is in these magazines? Does it, I mean, it feels, I have a lot of judgment against my teenage art self, right? Cause I'm like, God, that's like so basic, but, but like what, what's in these magazines? Like I was like, I was bullied for being fat all through high school. Well, no, not through high school because I uh, had did developed an eating disorder and lost a bunch of weight before high school. But all through elementary school, I was bullied for being fat and I had this like by family and schoolmates. And um, so I had this 
complex that a lot of people have who grew up in that way. And so I, I used the pain of that and like like I already said, like the associations with these other outsiders that I hung around with that like there's no place for me. Like there's no place in these magazines for me, <laughs> which is which is funny. It's like of I've been to college and now I, I know that there's not that they're not supposed to make me relate to them. They're supposed to leave me wanting. Right. Um, but yeah. And then I made zines too in high school and all of the zines are, it's like emo as fuck. It's like all about like cutting out excerpts from your journal for me, cutting out. Some people were smart and made like political zines, but I was like, wrote about like, crushes and being tortured like emotionally tortured and um making like provocative collages and stuff like that um so so you went to high school before the internet was as popular as it is today correct yeah i'm old well me too. i'm just speaking it's another way of to... saying how old are you oh <laughs> no i'm not wait you're old right <laughs> no, I went to school and Zanga, I went to school before Zanga was even popular. So I wanted to know, where did you put your zines out? Put them out. I just made them. <laughs> I just made them and I mailed them and I mailed them to my friends. When I lived in Chicago, I put a few zines in at Quimby's and stuff, but. Um... I had zines at Quimby's uh, in my mid 20s. <laughs> There you go. That's when I did that. That's amazing. No, no, I, this is when I was like, you know, I was in college in Chicago. Okay. So I, this was, I was not like a teenage, I wasn't one of those cool people who like, like had this whole like zinester community all over the country and like, it wasn't like that. I was like really scared to meet new people. So I didn't. <laughs> what was it like going to art school and suddenly so SEIC is School of the Art Institute Chicago, and it's one of the most prestigious art schools in the world. And if you are from Chicago, you have you get the, the vibe of a CIC SEIC student. There's nothing wrong with it, um, but it's like its own genre of human, and for the most part. So, what was it like to be in that environment where where there was a lot of uh, creativity? installed on an academic level i mean i kind of felt like my creativity 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 what am i saying creativity we just made that today that's our word creativity creativity um, okay sorry let's come back um <laughs> creativity now i just picture someone just like drawing a titty somewhere really intensely yeah. We're all that's the name of this episode by the way Creativity. Creativity. <laughs> Content warning, suicide. Um, but, <laughs> um, um, I, I thought, okay, I went into it thinking that it would be this like liberation and I would like become myself finally. And um, what actually happened was it wasn't at all what I had hoped it would be. Um, which is a trend in my life where I like, despite what people tell me about a situation I'm agreeing to be in, I still think that what I actually want it to be will be true. And that has never been the case. Like my, I, I just, or like, I guess full disclosure, I have a difficult time uh, with reality. I have a great time with delusions. 
Um, and so I guess I had a couple of those going into SAIC. And um, yeah, I mean, my I feel like my creativity totally turned off and my drinking went off and or like took off, right? And um, and I like didn't understand classes and I, and I felt like because I was around all these other people, oh, this is interesting because it's all about collaboration, but because I was around all these people, I felt like I couldn't paint or draw the way I usually did because I would be alone um, at home drinking and listening to like pavement or something and like and I couldn't I, I felt self-conscious right in in the studio classes I really enjoyed all of the academic classes they were like that was a huge and amazing departure from Catholic school <laughs> like I get to take a class about the Cuban revolution and like there was this other class I took called um the wandering uterus um and I was just like this is it but but the actual art classes like I felt really alienated from and like had a lot of imposter syndrome and didn't my the printmaking classes I went to were really awesome like I felt like there was a lot of solo time to like you could go into the studio and it wasn't so you know like painters the painters that I was around were um they seemed really I felt really alienated from them. I didn't feel like we are painters together. It was like, oh, you are, you're, you're having sex with people. Like you're cooler than me. Like I don't belong here, but with printmaking, yeah, there was a lot more privacy. Um, and I, you know, I didn't really start, I, I never, so the co collaboration, I guess, I guess I'm gonna talk about collaboration. Is that okay? Um, yeah. Like I didn't really start doing collaborative stuff except for like at parties when we would do an exquisite corpse or, you know, I was in a, a couple of um, noise bands in Chicago that were j like just complete disasters. Like it's not even worth saying what the, it's actually, actually I will say what the name of it is because the, there's a, this band has a really long history and they're actually like became a pretty well-known band um, but a, a totally different band from when we started. And it was, the band was called Mayor Daily. And like, I was in one of the like first iterations of that band and it was garbage. It was so bad. It like, I played a brownie pan and like our friend Ken, <laughs> our friend Ken, who was this like a uh, really kind of well-known um, uh, like slam poet w was the vocalist. And it there were like seven of us playing like kitchen things and Ken doing slam poetry about like, you know, basically contracting HIV from a cop. And like, and that was like where, this was like 2003. Um, this is amazing. I want to see this band live so badly. <laughs> no. Oh, oh my God, it was no. like. SCIC is like what I looked it up once. It's like 50,000 plus to go to a year. And the fact that you're playing a brownie pan and other kitchen utensils while you're like in school, it's really, it's so SEIC. Like I can just picture SEIC students playing kitchen utensils and it's very creative and funny. And I feel like even today, you're very ahead of your time. Like right now, that would be very contemporary and interesting that's and you get true. a lot of play. Yeah. It's so funny that that's what you said because I feel like it was so run of the mill at the time. Like everyone and their fucking mom had a noise band that was not like an acoustic noise band that did not involve actual instruments. 
but I think that's also like a Chicago thing um like heart like harsh noise like unlistenable noise music is like for me something I really strongly associate with Chicago like sort of listening to people like Jandek when I lived in Chicago and I was like do y'all know Jandek at all give a listen later today it is difficult (laughs) difficult um but um but also, I, 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 I felt myself getting defensive about the $50,000 a year thing for SAIC. It did not cost that much when I went there. Um, and I, I guess I have, why am I being defensive? This is silly. It didn't cost that much when I went there, okay? I didn't pay $50,000 a year to go there. Um, but, um, and also, like, none of my friends went to SAIC. This, again, with this, like, theme of, like, whatever is available to me is, like, not good enough, right? So I, like, go and seek out like you know a lot of the friends I made outside of school were um were great and I'm still friends with now but then a lot of them were also like um deadbeat assholes who were like uh fucked up to me so so did you have like a feeling so you wanted to go to SCIC I would imagine like that was kind of where you really wanted to go or it was just kind of yeah so kind of see imagining what it would have been like kind of creatively and artistically and then getting there experiencing maybe kind of like this not as creative output that you would want um did you ultimately like feel like you were disappointed in your experience there or do you feel like you still were able to get something out of it and kind of take something away from going there and studying there I definitely got a lot out of it, but I was also like a mentally ill tornado and I dropped out um, after my second year, you know? So like, I don't know, like I'm not like mad at SAIC, but there was this one TA that I had for art history who on the first day of class was like pretty much like, hey, I'm your TA, you're all fucking idiots for going to art school for undergrad. And That's I was a nice like, welcome. She was like, it cut, like, why would you ever go to art school if you have to pay for it? You guys are fucking stupid. And it was like, a, it was like in the, like, you know, Karen, it was like in the art history auditorium. It was like a seminar. So it was like hundreds of undergrads in there. And I was wow. like, wow, I hate myself. You know, I took everything really personally, but um seemed like she was pretty unhappy too looking back on it so yeah I feel like that was more about what was going on maybe with her at that time yeah but I was like 18 so I thought everything was about me mm-hmm. um, it, is, it is Helen everything in my life is about Helen stop it Helen's <laughs> the center of my world <laughs> at least for the next like half an hour Tracy do you have any questions for Helen because I know that you think the world of Helen, and I'm sure your brain is gnawing off a few potential insights to add. Sure, I'll ask Helen a question. Helen, what is your favorite zine that you made when you were in Chicago? Um, I made a zine called You Love Me, and it was like very, the style was very strongly influenced by um, like per, like a lot of people my age who did that type of art, very strongly influenced by like, uh, like Brian Chippendale's comics and like stuff that was coming out of Fort Thunder in Providence at the time. Um, and I 
you know, I, I had gone through um, a, tra uh, 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 how, what's the word? I keep trying to protect myself and not say too much. I had a, I had an abusive boyfriend in Chicago and um, there was like a lot of sexual assault and it like, it, it, I came out to my uh, friend group about it and uh, it was a disaster. And I like left Chicago and I, and that was my excuse for leaving Chicago was because I felt like I'd been run out of town because he was from there and um, they, no one, people said to me like, but he's from here. We've known him for forever. How can we like, basically like blacklist him or whatever and um that was hard That's so I made a zine about that it sucked um it sucked yeah and it was like a lot of fun stuff like people were like um but you guys were dating I mean that's kind of a gray zone isn't it and you you drop uh, your jaw now but this was like before the the discourse you know this was like in 2003 and like the discourse in in young people groups was not it was not about um believing yeah survivors at all it was like fucking basic and you know i, I was hanging out with like activists and punks and feminists and shit but this discourse was not available to them people were really scared um about were really scared of men you know yeah. and they didn't want to be i have some experience with the same situation that happened in 2005 and I know I took a lot of solace in the Me Too movement because knowing that it was happening in 2017 and that all the, my peers who were like activists and feminists, like they have to sit with this now. And every time there's like a big um, Dr. Ford with um, Kavanaugh, like that was also like rest of, it felt very amazing because she was standing up for herself and she felt totally obligated. And I have a situation where I just felt like I had to say something out of the fact that he could do that again to someone else. And um, yeah, they're like, well, you were at the party or blah, blah. So I just, I have like the legit same experience. And I know that before the Me Too movement, it was the, the friends didn't wanna be like caught in the middle. And it was like, just get over it. Like he's good enough. And it was blame the survivor 100%. Yeah. But it yeah. made me, um, it actually helped me because it gave me another taste of what it's like to do something that's unpopular. And because we live in such a like screwed up conformist society where people just blindly would walk off a cliff if they like if someone else did it before they got to the cliff so this makes me feel like if i had to create a life for myself i wouldn't have to follow what other people do heavy shit brian please let <laughs> brian please make please add something to this conversation as a man just kidding <laughs> um, as, as a man brian <laughs> Um, I apologize that we stuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I mean, I, yeah, it's, I'm so happy that like, like you said, Helen, like the discourse is happening now, but so sad for every single woman who's had to deal with anything up until this point who hasn't been believed and hasn't had those conversations. And 
um, for someone like you to have to have dealt with that um, and have to like, just say for anyone's having to deal with that stuff, but I'm just happy that you're here now and that like you know, you're able to talk about it and that you're comfortable talking about it with us and truly, really appreciate that. Um, yeah. I'll cool. show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Brian. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thanks for apologizing on behalf of all the oh, males. Man. Which is and, not, you know, not necessary. Um, but you know, I, I accept you. I accept you, Brian. Thank you. Um, I wanted to know, um, this whole time I've been wondering about the year you moved to Austin and now Austin is becoming very expensive to live in, but it was always known as like a creative, artistic, awesome, like the only place to go in Texas if you're progressive. And what, when did you move there and what drew you there? And like, what was it like to be there before it was like as cool as it is now like on paper that everyone knows about? Well, before I answer that question, I just want you to know that we are skipping 10 years of my life between the, making the zine You Love Me to moving to Austin. Um, I just want to put that out there. Um, so We can rely. We can definitely cover that 10 years if you want to. I would love to hear about all I that. Mean, it's, I'm old, so I mean, I don't want to like, I'm old. There's just a lot <laughs> You're of not and old. And not old. I know, I know, I'm not. <laughs> We're the same age. You know? But Karen, I know. You, I knew that. <laughs> I think I knew that. Um, I just like um, making a scene. Um, but <laughs> Karen and Karen and Tracy both know how long-winded I can be, so I don't don't want to like be a runaway train today, you know, and just be I'm like, fine with it. You know, like I love um, listening to people talk about themselves. Me too. That's wow. You're my kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really is cool though. Like, I mean, just getting to know someone new. I mean, someone who's a creative listening to your life story uh, so far has honestly just been amazing and kind of like the things that you've been through I draw a lot of parallels to my own life and like some of the traumas I've been through and yeah it's, it's just very very interesting to get to hear kind of like your perspective on things and yeah go ahead I'm here to listen to everything go ahead um yeah I mean I guess when I moved to Austin I went to go to UT to because I it's just not a very interesting story. Um, and I, I got, I went, I enrolled in the master's program for women's and gender studies. And like, you know, I, I, like I have a cousin who lives in Austin and it was closer to Atlanta where my mom lived and um, closer to where my partner's family, well, I mean, closer, we moved from San Francisco. So we moved to Austin and my partner's family lives in Ohio and my, my family lived in, um, Atlanta so it was like closer but not so close that people can just drop in on you um and you know Austin was fine I mean there's no sidewalks because there's no taxes um and uh it's still Texas but the the freaky queer liberal people are fucking cool and I made a lot of really good friends there um and by a lot, I mean like four, but um, people who I love and still talk to on a regular basis. Um, but I mean, I mean, I was coming from San Francisco. So my perspective on real estate was very skewed. Like I was like, like we found a two bedroom um, 
with a front yard and a backyard. It was a freestanding house and uh, like a full dining room and kitchen and, and like the whole fucking shebang. And it was $1,800. And we thought it was a steal. And all of the people we met who'd been living in Austin for like more than three years were like, you are ruining this city. Like the assholes like you who accept that exorbitant rent are ruining this city. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm from San Francisco where a, a house like this would literally cost $6,000 a month. Like, um, so, I mean, keep Austin weird, keep it cool. I mean, it's just a bunch of neoliberal nonsense in my opinion. Like, and it's, and, and there were a lot of, there was a lot of like pretty public criticism of the, like, of that slogan that Austin has, keep Austin weird. A lot of people just, called it keep Austin white you know like Mm -hmm. it it was like because the things that got funded and the things that were promoted and like the the small businesses that succeeded um not I don't want to say the small businesses that succeeded because there were a lot of businesses owned by people of color but but it was it's it's white it's Texas y'all it's Texas like there was a parade down my street when Trump got elected uh celebrating you know what I mean it's not like I'm glad you said that because so many people and it's mostly white people honestly who are in my life who said man you gotta go to Texas you gotta go to Austin it's gonna be great I'm like is it is it gonna be great for me (laughs) I don't know I'm not so sure no I mean I had a lot of fun in Austin but and and like I said I love my friends who are there but like I have you know Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to get on my little soapbox about it. People from California move there and celebrities move there because there is no state income tax. That's why people move there. It's not because it's liberal. It's not because it's this like oasis of like fun and sun. It's over a hundred degrees, more than six months of the year. And um, people who make a fuckload of income, it behooves them to move there. You can buy the same house in Austin for half the price as you would in LA and you're not getting taxed on your income. In California, like at the end of the day, you're taxed at least like 25 to 35% of what you are netting, you know, or gross, what you're grossing. Um, it's all capitalism. Yeah, that's my ex- almost exact sentiment on Austin and why I'm like not as high on it as everybody. I'm sure it's nice to visit and it's a cool place and I hear the barbecue is great. But as far as all that other stuff, I, I don't know. It has really cool stuff too. Like Barton Springs is really fun to go to. And you can like um, at night in the summers when there's not a pandemic happening, you can go and you can get away with a lot of shit. Like you can go skinny dipping at Barton Springs and like, um, which feels scandalous to me. Um, Cause you know, I went to Catholic school and even though I like to think of myself as like very sex positive and like liberated, I, I think I have some things that are, a little bit repressed <laughs> so I'm like oh, someone just took their top off <laughs> um but that's also I'm also the same person who like did a naked bike ride in Chicago so like nice I don't know yeah nice it was very uncomfortable um <laughs> were you uh did you like get into anything even personally like uh creative wise kind of work on anything that you um were able to do out there while you were in Austin no I had no time I was in grad school um and then I was like so depressed and traumatized um after grad school that I like just took a really shitty job and felt miserable 
until I realized that I didn't want to do that anymore. And I became a life coach. Nice. That's awesome. So how did you kind of get into that field? Well, so like all throughout my life, people have been like, oh, Helen, you're like so good at listening um, to me talk and, um, and you should be a therapist. And I really resented that every time someone said that to me, because I, I felt like I had like that, that was like a, a care industry and like, a, you know, like taking care of people and helping people industry. And I felt like my, my entire childhood had been stolen from me because I had to take care of my mother. And um, like, I was, you know, I won't go into detail about that, but like, I was an only child and my dad was an alcoholic and I was the only one there to take care of my mother. Um, and so I was like, fuck you, you want me to take care of you too? But really, like I had all of these like built in like codependent things where I would like, you know, I'm people please self-sacrifice without anyone asking me to like do a bunch of shit, preemptive shit. Anyways, I'm working through that in therapy. Um, but, um, anyways, I'd been getting this messaging from people for my whole life that I should be a therapist. And I just got out of grad school and I was like, that actually resonates with me now, except I'm never going back to grad school. Cause like, fuck that. Um, and so then I, I don't know. It's really funny. I, I listened to, uh, you are a badass book on tape. Cause I, I w- at the time I was like doing all this self-help stuff instead of like addressing a, a serious problem that I had <laughs> that, um, and so I, anything other than that. Um, but, um, so this was one of the self-help books that I read and she was like, um, describing what it was like to be a coach. And I was like, Oh, wow, that's me. Like, that's totally me. And I felt it really strongly. And I, like, I have never made such a careful decision before in my life, but I had that feeling. And then I was like, if I still want to be a life coach in six months, then I'm allowed to sign up for a training. And so I just kept working this shitty job that was like fucking horrible. Um, and then six months later, I still wanted to do it. And I uh, left my job uh, on pretty bad terms and <laughs> like, <laughs> got pretty messy about it <laughs> and and then I was just like nannying part-time and like getting certified to be a life coach and and just like trying to kind of like articulate my niche which is which is me like I am my niche like I know that I need help so I want to or that I needed help and I still need help in other ways but the things that I've been able to get through I can bring my expertise to other people who are going through the same shit so I focus on um, punks, queers, artists, educators, and like helping people face the facts about their selves, which is like, if you're a creative person, like, why would you stuff it down? I spent a lot of my twenties, like not doing certain types of art because I wanted to punish my mother. Right. Um, and so I was like, kind of really strangling, strangling, a intrinsic part of me and it only in like the last year have I started to really be like I'm an artist like I haven't made art in so long and so I've like been taking ceramics classes and like trying to draw more and like crocheting like I'm really into fiber art you know and like um so like kind of It's hard for me to not try to talk about every single thing at the same time. And that's what I'm doing right now. So I got a little, I got, a little, I overwhelmed myself. Um, 
that's how I got into life coaching. That's so dope. I think that's so cool. How um how long have you been doing it again? Um, three years this month. Congratulations! Happy three years. Oh, thank you. Um, how do you? Um, how do I get clients? This is actually a really good question to get back to the ten years we skipped over, um, because most of my clients I've known for between. 10 and 15 years. Um, and when they saw that I was like posting on Instagram about um, what I was doing, because I started off, I was, I offered, um, I, I, I offered X amount of hours for free, totally pro bono. Cause I like, didn't believe that I knew what I was doing. So I was like, who wants free coaching? Um, and then it was all these people from my past who were like, this is so cool that you're doing this. This is perfect. Like, yes, I, I want to sign up. And like, and so like, I've gotten a handful, like maybe like 5% of my clients have been just random, like through not random, but like through like marketing or like, you know, like, but everything else has been word of mouth. Um, so it is my people, like it worked for me to market like that. I hate using the word market. Everything about marketing disgusts me. Um, and I think I probably need to work through that in therapy too. Um, but yeah, it was, it's all been word of mouth. So it's like all queers, artists, educators, activists, like people who I, people who I want to coach, people who I already associate with, people who like already know what my values are and, and I, you know, like roughly like what, what their values are too. And it's just um, been a sign that like, I made the right choice. Like it's been, it's been like pretty seamless, you know, like I'll have some, some dry months where it's like, well, nobody's signing up, you know, like, but, um, but that's okay because then I get to do other stuff during those months. Um, that's how, that's how I get clients. That's awesome. Do you have current availability to coach more people? I do. A couple of clients just moved on to like, they spread their shimmering wings and, and have flown on to the next thing. And it's really cool when that happens, but I do, I have some, I have some open slots right now. Um, so check me out on Instagram at my other, which is a life coach. Yeah. I was going to ask, what are your, like, what are the places people can find you? What are all the links yeah, my website is HelenLoganHicks.com and I'm on Instagram at my other which is a life coach. No special spelling, no spaces or anything like that. Just so. I, I post a lot of pictures of myself. <laughs> As any life coach would. Right? Oh my gosh. And I feel like so many life coaches give off this thing. It's like feels really phony to me. Like I found this one life coach on like, and she calls herself, I, I'm not going to say her name because I don't remember it. And it seems like slander if I should say her name. Um, but like, she call, she's like a life coach for women's empowerment, which feels like a feminist life coach, right? Like, you know, words um, mean things. But she posts pictures of her on her private jet and shit. And I'm like, that's wow. not something I relate to or want in my life. I do not want a private jet. I want to live a comfortable life, um, helping people that I care about and um, 
not having to worry about my integrity. <laughs> and jet <laughs> That's what costs. I want. Jet fuel costs. You just don't right. want to get into that yeah. realm. I mean, I, I feel like jet fuel costs not only are, are uh, financially costly, but could have some costs on your soul as well. Yeah, uh, environmentally, in your soul, a lot of places where it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Well, I think I have, I, I'm wondering if I have any more questions for you or if I just have another question to, to say, Tracy, do you want to ask another question? <laughs> Is there, is there anything else that you would like to talk about, Helen? Is anything cool going on for you right now that you're excited about? I mean, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm coaching. I'm like not super busy with individual coaching right now, but I, I did, I've launched my first group coaching program this month and it's been like amazing. And all the people in it have like, texted me privately and been like, I didn't realize that I was missing this sense of community from my life. And like, and it just feels really, really good. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's what's up. I mean, we're in a pandemic. I'm like, and also in the pandemic, I learned that I'm, I'm not actually an extrovert. I'm an extroverted intro introvert. Um, and so like, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay not kicking it with people all the time. Um, and so there are some things about the pandemic minus, um, the pandemic, right. <laughs> that are working for me. Like, I'm not, it's not like, I'm not like having fun, like knowing that the numbers in LA are like out of fucking control. Um, but like, I like that I got to move into like a nicer apartment for less money and, um, and that I don't have to feel crazy when I want to cancel plans because there are no plans. Yeah. There should be very few plans. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and also yay for getting into a cheaper apartment because LA has bamboozled all of us into thinking that we should be paying all these prices. Yeah. I agree. Well, this was awesome. It was so nice getting to talk to you, Helen, and hearing your life story. And I honestly, it was so enjoyable. Thank you so much. Oh, yay. Yeah, that was super fun. I can't believe it's over. Um, doesn't have to be I, anything I, else. <laughs> 10 years you know we skipped all those 10 years when I lived in San Francisco and like I was like putting on I don't, but now it's like now we're all out of order so I don't want to like fuck up the flow of the podcast you know um but you can come oh. back Helen and talk about San Francisco yeah. another time you can come back You're, we'll feature you twice in season one <laughs> That sounds um, Part two, that yeah. something that is exciting to me. I love it. If y'all are so good, like, I can't believe this is your first. This is good. Your dynamic is killer. Maybe <laughs> maybe you don't want to include this on the episode, but like, I'm, I'm impressed at the dynamic and it's, it's really, I'm sorry that we can't see Karen's face right now, but it's been really fun to like watch all your little faces and like, this is fun. I like Thank it. Thank you. That's awesome. That's very exciting. To hear. Yeah, that's actually great to hear. Let's keep that in there so other people will also. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the soundbite that we, <laughs> yeah. we mark it. <laughs> great. I love seeing all your little faces. Yes, that's the trailer right there.
That's our slogan. Yeah, come see all our little faces. <laughs> now you go. But, but we didn't even talk about collaboration. I just like talked about all my solo struggles. Man, I'm sorry. Well, you don't have to be sorry because you're going to come back and you were just warming us up. Yeah. We had to get a full um, experience of you individually. Plus, I feel like you talked about high school and your experience and you're coaching a group. And next time you're on, you can talk about how coaching a group enhances collaborative, the collaborative process and all that stuff. We have way more to talk about with you, Helen. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Tune in next time. Next time. <laughs> uh, now you go. Thank um, you, Helen Hicks. Thank you, Helen. You can be found. Say your Instagram, please, one more time. At my other witch is a life coach. And then your website is, what's your website? It is HelenLoganHicks.com. At my other witch is a life coach is an amazing handle, by the way. I, uh, I take great pride in it because I really wanted it to be like raunchy, like, um, like those, um, I mean, it's not raunchy, obviously it's like pretty tame, but, um, but I just love those bumper stickers that are, that say my other ride is your mom. Mm -hmm. Like I like love shitty jokes like that. It's like so vulgar and rude. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be sure to be associated with like that kind of like self-aware, like kind of like punk which community aesthetic of service providers on Instagram to be like, I'm not quite a witch, but I have spirituality and I'm a life coach. And people feel confused and self-conscious about life coaches. So let's just build that into the name. Um, so you know that I know that you know. <laughs> I think you nailed it, honestly. <laughs> All that in that title. <laughs> Definitely did. Awesome. Thank you so much, Helen. Da, 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 da. Now you I go. go. <laughs> Is it my turn? Now you no. go. Okay, I'm gonna go. <laughs> the meeting. How are we ending this? Yeah, Karen, how are we ending it? Uh, I'll end with uh, a Jewish prayer. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Thank you.